0: everyone and welcome to televisions the podcast an audio companion to the televisions website and a show made by anglophiles for anglophiles i am Lacey barger and i'm the editor here at televisions and joining me as per usual is my co-host miss annie bundle hello hello
1: how are you today I'm
0: um, frustrated. We have had some tef- technical difficulties recording this show. We've um, had some
1: difficulties getting this show on the road in general this week because it's been a bad week.
0: Yeah. So if this one is less than our usual middling quality standards, you will know why.
1: <laughs> um,. I don't, I don't, I don't think this will be a bad episode though, um, because we have a subject that I think actually, uh, well, I don't know how you feel about the subject, but this is I, one I'm that, saving it for the pod. It's true, you are saving it for the pod, and you have saved it for the pod so hard that I actually have no idea what you thought of the series, um, which is actually pretty rare because usually I come in with at least an idea of whether or not we're going to get a thumbs up or a thumbs down.
0: Well, I did start started. Well, okay, wait, I'll just say it. We're, this is
1: a classics revisited episode, mm-hmm. um, and this is one that is my fault.
0: <laughs> this is her fault and i had to start the reason she didn't get as many texts about this is usually i have to watch all these in one go and i knew that i couldn't do that with this because it is the jewel in the crown which is a classic of the period drama genre and is also i think 15 hours long correct so i had to start watching this like weeks ago because i went out of town in the moment <laughs> um i also don't know that i think it's a show that that it really engenders like a lot of hot takes I'm not sure. I'll be interested to hear what you thought. But yes, we are entering our season of hot labor summer, which means probably more classics revisited are going to be on their way to you in the weeks and months ahead. So send us your thoughts. Why can't it be
1: hot strike summer? I
0: don't know. It's it's, it's better alliteration. Anyway, my point being this will probably not be the first classics revisited in your ears in the next few months, but it is one we've meant to do for a while. It is a sort of Titan of the genre, as we know it, it doesn't look a lot like period drama as we know it today so much, I don't think. But it is a reason we have this genre and it is a classic. And there are just a ton of people who you will recognize in it. I'm sure Annie has a cast list. I do. <laughs> we'll read you all their names in a minute. But it is it is ginormous in scope, in length, in everything.
1: Yeah. Uh, so there's like um when Lacey first proposed the concept of classics revisited as a running uh set of episodes that we do as part of this podcast, um there were a little set of uh Titles that instantly came to mind for me, which were sort of like the classics of PBS, the the British shows that sort of defined in the mainstream mind what British television was to American audiences via PBS. And they are Brideshead Revisited is one of them. Jewel in the Crown is another. I, Claudius, um, Elizabeth R., uh, the fourth, uh, scythe, the fourth
0: scythe saga. Whenever we get to
1: that, yeah. Uh, uh, the sixth Wives of Henry the Eighth, and all of these are, all of these are twelve to fourteen hours long. They are, they are multiple episodes. Those episodes are usually two to three. Some of those episodes are two hours easily. Um, yeah, the, don't don't fall for the fake out when they're like, oh, you're
0: episode one. Surprise! It's two hours long.
1: Yeah. Um, and the thing about. Uh, Jewel in the Crown is that uh, it came after Bride's Head, which was not a masterpiece show. It's most people assume it was, but it actually came over via great performances. And um, Jewel in the Crown almost feels like Masterpiece's rebuttal. In a lot of ways, Um, ITV actually decided that they could do Jewel in the Crown after they did, um, Paul Scott is the author of of the Raj Quartet, which the Jewel in the Crown is based on, all four novels, Um, basically is what the show covers. They then did his uh, follow-up novel, they did his follow-up novel staying on first, and when they successfully filmed that in India, they decided that they could do the bigger budget Jewel in the Crown, like. Bigger, right? And you know, not- notably, they did the Game of Thrones thing, where instead of calling it the Raj Quartet, they named it after the first book. Um, I uh this is actually one that I'd seen before when I was a kid, and I didn't remember it very well, but I did remember Charles Dance being hot in a hat. Um, <laughs> and um, uh,
0: Greg, ca- Greg came in at some point while I was watching one of the later episodes, and he was like, "Why is that guy like familiar?" And I'm like, babe it's Tywin Lannister." Yeah, and he was like, "Oh, I see it now." <laughs> yeah.
1: Um so uh the thing about uh the jewel in the crown cuz I also then read the I I saw the show as a kid. I actually read The Raj Quartet in college. Um and the novels are basically uh com- there's almost none of it is told. Well, there are sections that are told from an omni omni present, not how many present, omniscient points of view, but most of it is told via it's epistolary novel, to, via letters, via um, um, reports, via, uh, you know, uh, third party writings. And it's also not told in order in the books. It's basically everything is sort of a, here, here. here's a report about a thing that happened here and here's a letter that somebody else wrote. And sometimes they tell the exact same story from two completely different points of view. Um it also, changes, uh, it also changes points of view per chapter, which at the time I was reading uh, 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 Wheel of Time and, and Game of Thrones, and so I was very used to that sort of format. Um, which... I, I
0: think I'm going to interrupt you for a second, mm-hmm. because you've skipped over a very key part of this discussion, which is you need to tell the people what The Jewel in the Crown is.
1: Ah, yes. Uh, the Jewel in the Crown is basically a soap opera set in the final days of the British Raj in India, um, beginning in 1942 uh, at the height of the war and ending in 1947, uh, I think about a, a two or three days. Right at, part,
0: right at partition. Yeah,
1: like two or three days before partition, basically. Um, and the first book, The Jewel and the Crown, is a story, it's a love story um, about this kind of, the, the, this... Uh, Upper class girl who has basically never really been in a relationship and is kind of like has a whole lot of self esteem problems. And she falls madly in love with this guy, uh, Harry Kumar, who is a, or Harry Kumar, and he is a, a Indian born, uh, boy who was taken to England very young. Uh he was educated in upper class. He went to the right schools. He has completely the, the upper class British twit attitude. Um and until he came back to India and suddenly he is all people see are the color of his skin. And he he doesn't fit in anywhere. He is also
0: the thr- he's he's the through line through most of the story, even though he's only a major character for about a quarter of it. Mm-hmm um his story kind of keeps going on in the background while other stories are happening and you get like sort of verbal mentions or updates on him as you go but the, he is the true tragedy of this story because he is stuck um a victim of british imperial imperialism he is too indian for the English and to English for the Indians. Yeah. So he is is stuck in a strange limbo where he belongs nowhere and is miserable.
1: And his his tragic story with Daphne is kind of the sh- is kind of the story's like original sin in a way, and it's kind of an. Yeah, it's, a, sp- it's a warning alert for gang rape. Was not ready for that. Um, basically, the two of them um go out on a date in in a in a in a beautiful garden, and they have sex in the garden, and then a gang of uh uh called the Bibigar, yeah, uh, a a gang basically happens upon them and beats the crap out of him and gang rapes her. She gets pregnant. Uh, she dies in childbirth. Meanwhile, the policeman who uh who was called to the scene whose name is ronald merrick um who is played by tim piggott smith who passed away recently he he was
0: you may more uh people who have not seen this will remember him from the weird king charles the third thing that pbs aired a few years ago he was king charles
1: yeah he's also been in just a ton of stuff this this is the show that kind of made him a superstar on in bbc tv land um uh Merrick is a lower class uh white guy who's basically a social climber. Um he he wanted to go out with Daphne and she turned him down because he was too 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 um he's a lot. Yeah, he's a lot. Not uh, a lot
0: of that is good, but he's a lot.
1: Yeah. She she basically was very turned off by his social climbingness and his his hard Um, attitude towards the, the, the Indian population and his racist and, uh, white nationalist kind of uh, attitudes. And she turned him down, even though he, he like straight up asked her to marry him. And she was like, no. Um, so to see her go, to see her go out with a guy who is not white absolutely enrages him. And given the chance to arrest Hari for her rape, he does. Now the fact is is that Hari didn't rape her and she will not testify. And she says if Hari didn't Hari didn't rape me and if he didn't rape me, then none of the other people in jail probably rape me either, so you should just let them all go. Um, That ends up sort of happening, except then um Merrick finds a different reason to hold them all in jail, basically saying that they are disruptors of the empire. It's
0: a political reason. Uh this is around the same time that Gandhi is rising to power. Yes. Or influence, however you would like to phrase that. But there's a very strong um India Indian independence movement happening in the background.
1: And um one of the things I find really fascinating about the way this show was done, um, because they can't tell the story via reports or epistolary or, or letters or whatever, is that they have woven through um, newsreels from the time period. Like those are real, actual newsreels of the time. It's not It's not newsreels that they produced with the actors. It's actually the real thing. And seeing these 1942 era newsreels basically acting like gandhi is a terrorist is well it's kind of amazing in 2023 like it's just kind of like your eyes just kind of go whoa what's
0: what's really interesting about the way this story is strung together for me is that even if i didn't know this was based on four different books i could absolutely tell that it's based on four different books because there are at times moments where it feels like four different stories fighting under a blanket um (laughs) And uh, like it's a it's a cohesive narrative in the sense that it is set in India and it happens over this specific time period. and It is about this specific thematic issue, which is uh, imperialism and oppression and and what happens to a country that has that has lived so long under the heel of a different country. Like, can they be free? What does that freedom look like? What does years of being in that position do to the people who are oppressed? That kind of stuff which I think is all very thematically interesting, but narratively, it's kind of wild because they basically initially sell the show like it's going to be about about uh, Hari and Daphne. And they are in like two episodes of this. <laughs> and then they don't even introduce the character who's really the main character of the show until somewhere around episode five. And then there's a bunch of other weird side quests with like her baddie aunt, her baddie aunt's live-in girlfriend,
1: Who's a missionary and 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 fully repressed about her sexuality
0: there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of stuff with like Merrick's career and how he falls in I guess really Merrick is probably the line character that you see the most yes because he ends up serving with the sister of the girl who's uh, Sarah Layton is the main character and he ends up serving with her sister Susan's husband, whose name is Teddy during the war so he leaves the police. To go fight in the army and and works his way up that way, but that's where he meets Susan's husband. Susan's husband is killed. That's how he gets into the Leighton family and a whole bunch of other stuff happens. It's really very... It's weird. Like, the narrative disjointedness of it in places is really hard for me
1: um and i that is partly because as i said these and and this is what i this is what i was trying to get to before you pointed out that i'd forgotten to tell you the plot um the book is completely out of order and part of the mystery of the book the driving mystery of the book is that you don't know what happened because things get skipped over and you you hear one person's point of view but they're an unreliable narrator. So, like, if you read Merrick's report on, on Hari raping her... You
0: don't know what happened, what, to, tar- to Hari and Daphne? Like, that's what you, you don't know? I haven't read the books.
1: No, you don't know. Her rape is not revealed until the final chapters of book four. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right? Like, so what they did in this in this series is they took everything and they put it in linear order. And that is an understandable choice because it's a television show. Oh my
0: gosh, I never could have kept up with it the other
1: way. Yeah. And so that's why they did it. And I get why they did it, but it does sort of make it difficult to tell a straight story when you are basically trying to straighten out a timeline that is Mm. super interwoven. It
0: also really leaves, it really leaves you without, a. um,
1: and I think this is really
0: different from a lot of period dramas we see today, because usually even if it has a big sprawling cast, there's like the one character that you're supposed to glom onto. Mm -hmm. That's like either the audience stand in or the audience viewpoint or whatever, Mm -hmm. like that's the character there may be fifteen other characters in the show, but like there is one character that's like that's the one the audience is supposed to like connect with. And you don't super get that here, or maybe you do and it's Daphne and she's dead in two episodes, but
1: Actually no, it's like, Merrick and you hate him.
0: Well, I was gonna say, I guess it I I, I was gonna lead this into saying that it, it makes you have really like um like an uncomfortable connection with Merrick because he's a monster, but not always. It's, it's interesting. And part of that is is Tim Pickett Smith is a great actor and it's a fantastic performance. But I, I always feel hesitant when stories like this are asking me to sort of sympathize with someone who's clearly being villain coded. But I do feel bad for him a lot, even though he's a monster.
1: Yeah, Um. and the thing is, is that everyone else really does despise him. And part of it is that he's a very easily, per- he's an easy person to despise. But also... Oh, but the thing is, is I don't think that's why, though. I think
0: it's later when um, Sarah says something to her dad, where her- Sarah and her dad are talking about him in, like, the long convolutedness of this plot. Eventually, Merrick Mary- marries Susan, Sarah's sister, who was married to his friend that he served with. It's the very days of our lives but sarah the the main character sister is talking to her dad about their about the fact that he wants to marry susan and i wish they'd pick like different letters for their names it would be so much easier but they're both like oh he's not he's not one of us like and that's the vibe that i really get from it more than he's just like a he's not like a particularly great person he certainly doesn't seem to be fun at parties but like it's the uh uh-huh, he doesn't really belong with us that that's what it is.
1: No, and that's exactly the problem. And that that's where his resentment comes from. There is a long monologue that Charles Dance gives in in, in which he does, um, in a, a a 1980s early version of uh, 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 what what did we call it in Game of Thrones uh, 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 sex position? Where he oh, yeah. strips and he literally like is he goes down to his skivvies basically and he's basically giving you the point of view of the of the upper class of Merrick and he's saying basically you know he's he's old school he thinks that that he thinks that by using India he can raise himself up to the upper class when he doesn't realize that the upper classes despise people who are using India to try and raise themselves up in class because what we've done to india is terrible and we all know it um and that's that is such a that that to me was such an encapsulation of merrick as a character and how the others saw him
0: i think i think that well okay maybe for guy that statement is true but i think on the whole for the characters in this the whole self-awareness of what they've done to india and how bad it is 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 (sighs) negative
1: yeah no
0: it's not that they don't feel like that
1: a lot of this show is characters sort of coming to the realization of what they've done to india See, I don't,
0: I don't know that I. Bl- One of the things I actually like about this show is that it's really, really willing to not be like, um, what's the word I want? I was starting to say proselytizing, but that's not what I mean. Maybe I do. I don't know. It's not, it's not trying. It's, it's not trying to be sympathetic towards the British position. It's not trying to apologize for what they did. Mm-mm. It's letting them be ugly. Yes. And it's letting them be ugly in a way that does not have like a happy ending. Because I feel, because to me, the last episode or next to last episode, there's so many episodes. The episode where they're all leaving on the train and they get attacked, and um, Ahmed gets pulled out of the train and murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, Afterwards, like Sarah's crying and she's about, like, just, oh, India or whatever. Like, and to me, that read a lot more like they meant it to be like, India is untamable. Look at this savage place. We never should have come here rather than we were wrong to come here.
1: Ah, I think see, those are
0: two I think those are two different things.
1: I actually read it as we were wrong to come here and I read it and I don't I re- think they have any self
0: I don't think there's any I didn't read in that any culpability for what they have done.
1: Ah, see that's that's interesting because to me one of the through lines that I felt I I found watching it as an adult is that there seems to be um the first one is that uh the Edwina Crane on the road who then puts herself in a hut and burns herself to death. Uh, when her lover uh is killed on the road with her, she basically like goes around saying, there's nothing we could have done. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we could have done. And what she means is that we have ruined India and there is nothing we can do to fix it.
0: Oh, see, I read it the other way. <sighs> um, And also I think it's really interesting because at that point with that action of burning herself in the hut, I forget the name of that ceremony, but that is a... a yeah. I think it's Hindu ceremony. It's called like, oh, what is it called? It's where they literally, when wives throw themselves on the fire with their yes. husbands, like that is a very specifically Indian ritual. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that she chose that ritual is very telling. You know what I mean? And I don't think it's, I think that's siding with India.
1: Yes, it is siding with India. And that's why I think it is that she's but upset. I decide
0: the same thing as a profession of guilt to me.
1: Ah, uh, see, I took that as a profession of guilt. And I took every person who comes out with that painting, by the way. That painting is real. The painting is yeah. I was going to say the painting is real. The painting of a uh, of of Queen Victoria receiving that's the that's the Koha Nor jewel that she's receiving in that painting. Isn't that the one that's in the crown? That is the that's one that's the
0: what the, the big one in the front of the court. Everybody just saw it in the coronation. It's the giant diamond in the front.
1: Yes, it's that big ass. It's that big ass Indian diamond that was uh, front and center in the coronation. That that everybody began to talk about how England should return that to India. That is the jewel in that painting, but. of 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 course, the the everybody this painting keeps coming out and in each time it comes out, there is this repetitive moment where they say almost each character says this line and they all say the jewel is India. The jewel is India. And we we have this is a promise unfulfilled. And see, I took that as we promised to do right by this country and we failed and that promise is unfulfilled.
0: If we're going with the metaphor that the jewel is India, though they just kept it mm. it's an allegory <laughs> <laughs> they do but, say- but if it's an allegory it doesn't it doesn't work that way though like they didn't like they literally took tribute they literally took tribute from people from mm-hmm. people yes. and kept it yes <laughs> that's not doing right by them that's literally robbing
1: <laughs> yeah and and if you notice like that also gets echoed um in a in Mabel Layton's story mabel says that you know she, uh, the the white guy, got tributes of thousands and thousands of pounds from the Indians around them. So she gave a hundred. So she gave a hundred pounds to those who die to those he had killed. Um, and there's a whole there's the, you know and the, there's Bar- Peggy Ashcroft plays Barbara Bachelor, who is the missionary, repressed lesbian best friend of Mabel, um, who. I mean, her performance is just stunning. First of all,
0: she's got she's got real like Olympia Dukakis and Steel Magnolias vibes for me.
1: Um, she is she's so good, but she too seems to sort of reach this point where she starts saying the same things, where she feels that the guilt that Mabel died from, that confessed to, is is now in her, and that she has to somehow make it right.
0: Wait, but she dies before Mabel.
1: No, no, no! Ba- no, Mabel dies first. Mabel's the one with the big, with the big hat who has the no, stroke. No, that's Barbie. No, isn't it? Nope, nope. Barbie is okay. the one who ends up in the convent and ca- and calls herself a dwina.
0: It goes crazy.
1: I promise you, that's it. She's the one okay. who goes down on her knees in front of Judy Parfit, um, begging for Mabel to be buried by her husband. By the way. Can I just say, so we see we see Judy Parfitt in a and called a midwife every year, and I know her- it not that that was a real like that was a
0: real um. It took me a minute to figure out who she was, and I was like, oh wow,
1: her <laughs> character of Mildred Layton is she's supposed to be sort of the embodiment of how inhumane English people have become too the India that they live in, that basically that by living in this incredibly spoiled manner, that they have basically lost their humanity. And she is such a raging. (laughs) Like, Um, she will not go so late um, one of the ways that we connect back to Daphne is that the Leightons are vacationing in the houseboat next to Lady Manners who take who is uh, Daphne's aunt and takes in Daphne's baby after she dies and it's this mixed race baby that died that that, that was born under you know born out of wedlock and these sort of like rapey circumstances and so like Mildred is just like I <laughs> we will not be we will not be going over there right and 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 the daughter susan is like we will not be going over there and sarah's just like i'm gonna go over there (laughs) and that that's kind of how you know that sarah is the heroine because she's the one who goes over there um uh, it does
0: not show up for like four or five episodes of the show
1: okay can i also point out that okay sarah layton is played by geraldine james who plays queen mary in the downton movies
0: oh I've only seen the Downton movies like once. Okay, um, I, I just I, I, I remember wanted... that Queen Mary was in the Downton
1: movie. I, I just wanted to point that out because that's that shot of Queen Mary and and King George that opens every episode. Of the jewel in the crown. That 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 newsreel footage of them. And all I could think is. And Geraldine James one day will play Queen Mary. Wait
0: a minute. Here's a history quote. Do you know the answer to this? Because I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Victoria never went to India. Nope. Okay. So that painting is like just. This.
1: That painting is a fantasy. But it's. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and they actually say that in the show at one point. Is that Victoria never came here. And that painting was a fantasy. Um, but. Uh, the other thing that uh, the other like moment that I had is in towards the end of the episode. I forget if it's the second to last or last episode where they show Lord Mountbatten showing up as the vice for oh, yeah. as the last vice for of India, and I'm like, and one day Charles Vance will play him in the Crown. <laughs> like I just, I, I love that. I actually,
0: th- I know there's just a l- there's a lot of hey, it's that guy's in this. I also feel like there's a movie with Hugh Bonneville called like the last Viceroy. There is that is about the same topic. Um, um, go ahead.
1: No, I just the thing about this show is that it's so. Uh, this is something I said about Bride's Head too, and I don't know how I, if you're going to agree with me or not. But you know, when when you and when, when nowadays when I sit down to a set of screeners and I am handed fourteen screeners of a prestige TV show, let me tell you, I groan. When I look and I see that it runs 79 minutes, the first episode, I faceplant. I'm like, you got to be kidding me here, right? And in every case, in almost every case, when you get a prestige TV show that is a ludicrous amount of episodes and those episodes run on forever... It's really hard to watch, too. Like, you find yourself skipping ahead. You find yourself going, why is this all here? You, this could have easily been condensed.
0: I'm not going to pretend that I didn't have that reaction a little bit here. But I'll get into why.
1: Okay. Well, no, that's exactly why I was curious. Because with Head*, I was so engrossed. That I I would think to myself, oh gosh, I don't really have time for this whole episode. I'll probably watch like three quarters of it and then kind of do like five minute skips um, through the slower parts. And then I'd watch the whole episode like glued. And this is exactly the same thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, most of the time, it's Lacey who's watching to the absolute last minute and I finish first. And in this case, Lacey was the one who finished way early, and then I had a family emergency and didn't get to watch, and basically got thrown off my schedule. And I thought to myself, well, the show is so long, if I have to do skipping, I will. And I couldn't. And I literally was watching up until an hour before we recorded, in the hairdresser's chair, glued to this thing. I could not stop watching. And this is the same thing that happened with *Brideshead*. Head. Like, I just, it is so engrossing and it is so propelling to me. And it's one of the things that I wish that more prestige TV of today, if it's going to run 14 episodes, could really do that. They could really take a lesson from this, is one of the thoughts I had. So now, no, but you did not have that reaction. For you, it was a, oh my God, why are we taking so long?
0: It was a little bit like homework. <laughs> um because a couple of things they're so it is very long and every episode is like 50 minutes or two hours if it's one or the other um so it's very long it's very slow moving despite the fact that it spans several years um I found it really hard And I'm not normally, I mean, I I read a lot of books that have multiple POVs. I don't mind like lots of characters in the show, but I really had a hard time finding a connection point with it, especially towards the back half. I loved everything with Daphne and Hari. And of course that was in like two episodes. Um, I think it's beautifully shot. I think it's a beautiful show. I think India looks amazing. And I think the show is remarkably honest about a lot of, you know, the problems that India face now and then the dangers of imperialism. I just feel like, you, you know, the long tail effects of imperialism too, I actually think is really important. I, 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 I don't want it to have been longer, but I sort of wish that it had condensed some of the messy middle stuff and done a little bit more with the partition at the end. I will freely admit that I only really learned about the partition in any specificity from Doctor Who. So as a dumb American, I clearly need that stuff. But I don't know. It just felt really plotting in places and plotting to no real purpose. I feel like while a lot of the stuff with some of the secondary characters was on paper interesting, I think that it could have been cut or those that screen time could have been given to characters that I feel like I didn't really get a good of, you know, as a handle on on them or their journey. Like I loved Sarah. I don't know sarah particularly well i don't feel like i don't know that i think she was incredibly changed over the course of the show she goes through some stuff but i don't i don't know i had a hard time really like without that sort of pov character i had a hard time really fine i ended up watching for merrick which then made me feel nasty because merrick is gross I mean, you're not
1: wrong.
0: I don't know. It's a very, it's very conflicting. Like I can acknowledge that this, I I can clearly see why this was groundbreaking, why it is considered a classic, why it has, you know, a long tail impact on the genre. I also just, I would have done some judicious editing and maybe like just made some different choices. Like, why does Guy show up in the last, you know, Guy shows up in like episode nine.
1: Right? Like, the thing I remembered the most about this was Charles dancing the hat.
0: And the thing is, is, as much as I like Guy, do I think Guy coming into the story that late could not have been just excised completely and done in a different way? Absolutely I do.
1: Um, you know that, um... Uh, actually, I don't know if you know this, but uh, she actually, uh, Sarah Layton, actually does uh, marry Peron back in England after this is all over. You'll oh, learn why that. Know, why would I do that? <laughs> um, you will learn that because it is I, 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 it, it is it is basically hinted at in the books, and it is it is confirmed in staying on because there is a letter from Susan per, or from uh, Sarah Peron that arrives at one point.
0: Oh, that's so interesting because I also feel like this show really other than I really was rooting for, for Daphne and Hari. But other than that, like nowadays, when we think about period dramas, there's almost always romance of some sort attached to it. And there, I just, this is not a romantic show in any way. Like it's not romantic in its sort of view of, 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 of the Raj. It's not romantic in its view of Imperial India. There's like the relationships in it are horrible. Like there's just, it's not at all
1: no that uh, that is very true um i uh
0: at one point i was like are they like friends with benefits like what's going on here like it's like i really their relationship does nothing for me
1: Um, so Sarah apparently, so Sarah loses her virginity to basically a dude who exists in like one episode and he's literally there to basically take her, to basically like neg her into losing her virginity.
0: Yeah. I don't really, maybe that actually, that's probably an underlying thing here. This, this show makes some choices about women that I don't really like, but
1: yeah, no, that is, that, that was, that is very much a sort of a, uh, that is one of those things that I think, um, does not age well in the slightest. The whole, he locks her in the room, he's naked in the bed, and she submits to this? Like, really just absolutely, like, made my stomach churn. Well, it's and, not even that.
0: Like, it's, not, it's that, and the her sister goes crazy and tries to, like, burn her baby in a literal ring of fire. Okay, that
1: is supposed like, to, that, I, I, that is that is, that is post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, I, or not, sorry, postpartum. Let me tell you that the
0: show is not super clear on that fact. Those kids just like, women be crazy.
1: Yeah, it's it's supposed to be postpart. It's supposed to be like super psycho postpartum over losing her husband and having this baby early and basically um, the mom being a total Um, I will note that the one time that Judy Parvet really got me to actually side with Millie, though, is when she realizes that Sarah has gotten pregnant from that first time she had sex and she suspects that everyone around her knows except her and she's lashing out like crazy. And it's not actually that... And, and nobody knows. Like, she, and Sarah, Sarah hasn't told anybody. Um, she's the only one who's realized it. And she's so angry and she's so, like, mad at the world for, like, trying to hide this from her. And everybody's like, wait, what? Your daughter's... What? How did you... Know? Your daughter's frack. Right? And then... And you're almost like, is Millie wrong? Is Millie just crazy? Like, you want Millie to be wrong because she's so mean and you don't like her. And then, like, Sarah comes home from wherever she, like, was the night before. And uh, Aunt Fanny comes up to her and is like, so how are you? And Sarah's like, "I I need to go to Calcutta and have a thing. And you can just see Anthony just going like, "Oh yeah, okay, no, Millie was right." And like that's one of the few moments where like, it, and that's the thing about this is that like it it is very much uh, okay, it is very much a show written by a white man from the point of view of white men in India at that time.
0: I mean, I don't, I don't even think it's that necessarily. I think it's more just that that. Um...
1: Well, uh, it's I don't necessarily a... think that
0: I don't necessarily think that's the answer for every show that's bad. I think this show just privileges male narratives over female ones. Also, I know it also privileges white narratives, but it does privilege white
1: narratives over. One
0: hundred percent. Uh, I don't, wait a second, because I'll tell you that there are, there are guys in this show that I feel I know better than I know Sarah. Mm. Hari, for starts, like I just feel like you get more. Like freaking, I know how I know more about how Merrick feels about losing an arm and getting a prosthetic than I do how Sarah feels about having an abortion.
1: That's true because he has no, because the right, because the writer and the and the guy who dramatized it have no idea what it's like to have an abortion and just skip right on over it. Like we just come back a couple, we just come back and she's been, she's been in Calcutta for like four months and it's all been taken care of.
0: I mean, they go back to we know What's her face? The story, how many times is she even on the show?
1: She's in the show for like two minutes.
0: Like, does she exist in the like? Thank you. Yeah. Like, she exists in the show. Is it? I, I feel like all the women in the show are sort of ideas for things rather than people.
1: Mm, I can see that. Yes, I, I do think I actually I get that. Um, I I even so. Um, one of the other things that really got me, you know, as you said, you know, Harry better than you know Sarah. Um, even so, I felt like the white narrative was privileged over the Indian one at every turn. Like the guy um um Ahmed, who is the one who dies at the very end, is pulled off the train, um, who turns out to have been Sarah's secret lover for like the past six months or something, um, who she doesn't really seem to be grieving too much because um, she's
0: yes, she just has needs, I don't know,
1: I don't know, she should yeah I mean honestly, I like, like I
0: should be able to be like, of course, Sarah likes a person like that because x y z thing, but I don't know anything about Sarah at all, so I can't tell you that, yeah, they both like to go horseback riding, which appears to be like her primary personality trait. I don't know,
1: um, yeah, they uh they don't really give you too much about him either. They do have a few scenes with a guy they refer to as m a k who is um, basically one of the uh, uh, political figures. And he is basically a conduit for the argument for Indian, for uh, not Indian independence, but working with the British government to sort of ease the transition and not just jump in with both feet. And he gets to argue with a few other characters played by Indian actors who express the indian independence position
0: i thought gandhi was gonna show up after like gandhi is mentioned a whole lot of times in like the second episode and i was like oh gandhi's gonna roll in here he did not
1: (laughs) um may i also note that this came out around the exact same time as gandhi
0: yeah i think and also um a passage to India. there's a lot of like india indian focused media at this time which i think is kind of bizarre
1: well no because Um, i think it'd been it'd been about 40 years and so there would been about enough time and distance that british people started to sort of try to grapple with what had happened there and how it had all gone so wrong and how incredibly horrific that had been that they were basically starting to finally process the trauma of the indian independence and the partition from their own point of view um and i don't think that's a i i i I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but it was very striking, especially in this day and age, where we try really hard not to center the white point of view when we tell these stories, that we try very hard. Um, that there is a real movement to, you know, center a story about India on an Indian character. Like Doctor Who with with with, with uh with Yes. It
0: Demons of the Punjab is the episode. Yes, thank
1: you. That's the name of the episode. I couldn't think of it. All I could think of was Diaz. It's
0: a great episode if you've never seen it. I don't even know that you really need to watch the show to love it. It's like about going back to partition India. There's a love story and stuff. It's really good.
1: Yeah. And Miss Marvel also is based in the partition of India. Like the Miss Marvel uh, show over on Disney Plus also does that. And again, uh, does it from a Muslim point of view. Like it's centering... It's not centering the white story. And so to have this story told from that and sort of be reminded that this is the only way those stories used to get told was for me a bit of a...
0: I think um, I've been kind of mulling on this since you said that since we were talking earlier about how we sort of disagree with kind of like the fundamental uh, of the way the characters and fundamentals of the way the characters in the show view themselves. I think what the disconnect here is between us Mm -hmm. is that what you're attributing to the characters i attribute to the externality of the show i think the show understands all of these things that you're saying and that the show itself is really trying to to say something about imperialism and everything that comes along with that i don't think the characters in the show feel that way
1: ah okay I mean no i don't I don't dis- I don't necessarily disagree with you that I am basically taking the show's point of view and letting the characters embody that or seeing the characters as embodying that, but I also do think that that is in the same way you say that that the women are conduits for ideas. I think that's also why I immediately read them as sort of uh well the uh conduit for the show's overarching ideas <laughs> um so i think that i i i i think we both are seeing it just from like two different angles um that being said i have to say um if uh, I was sort of prepared to come in here and be like, mia culpa, I said let's do Jewel in the Crown because I remembered it from my childhood and in 15 freaking hours, and I'm so sorry, Lacey, I made you do homework. Um, And I was prepared to do that with Brideshead Revisited, too, but you actually really liked that. Well, I and, like
0: the first half of that. After Sebastian kicks it, I'm done.
1: Um, I have to say that I really liked this way more than I... I, I'm really surprised how much to me this held up, despite all the things about it that have not aged well. That I really, I couldn't stop watching.
0: <laughs> For me, this sort of felt like when I um, took a class on the English novel mm-hmm. and I had to read, like, Daniel Duranda. Um, Fully understand why that class made me read Daniel Duranda. I have now read Daniel Duranda. <laughs> and do not ever need to read Daniel Duranda again. <laughs> That's right. That's kind of how I feel here. I don't know. I just don't, it did not speak to me in a lot of ways. And that is very possible that it's not for me. I'm not sure. Um, In terms of either cultural or gender specific things or whatever, it might just be too long. It is really long plotting. and plotting. And there's so many things that I'm like, why is this in here? Why do we put this in here? If we're not going to do anything with it.
1: Like Ah Okay. Um the other reason why I feel like I really do want to recommend this to people to watch, even if you might not, is that I did have a field day with It's Black Guy <laughs>
0: So there a, I a
1: had ton of such is a field day with um 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 like Nigel Rowan uh, realizing that I had seen him in Doctor Who. Um, let's see. Oh, and he's also in the Larkins. Uh, let's see. Uh, 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 Nicholas Farrell, who is the husband who dies. Uh, Teddy. Um, he was in the Crown um, as Michael Shea. Um, and I know I've seen him in other things. Like I've seen him in a ton of stuff. Like he's he he's dead definitely a, a, a one he's like a, a one guest star wonder on so many british shows um and it i had never seen peggy ashcroft in anything before this um and i learned later that part of the reason why like i'd never seen her in anything she's mostly a stage actress and that this is like one of the absolute last things she did before she passed and i uh I mean, she's just such a revelation watching her and and Parfit together. Um, that scene where where Barbie has the absolute meltdown when she goes there and pretending to be the colonel who who she doesn't realize Millie is sleeping with and comes in and realizes in horror that 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 Millie is 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 expecting her lover and that she's basically fooled her. And so they get in this huge fight. Like I just I thought that scene was so creep. Um I, it, I I love the fact that she caught the guy that she then caught the guy sleeping with somebody else. Like it was just, yeah. Anyway, I just, I thought the whole, I, I, I loved this show in it, in, in a way I was sort of not expecting that I would. And it's kind of funny because I remember reading an, an article with Charles, uh, an interview with Charles Dance a few years ago when Game of Thrones was ending, like right around the time Ty- Tywin Landis or, uh, Tylan Lannister had been dead for a couple of seasons, but they interviewed him for, you know, how do you feel about the end of the show? And they said basically, like, what's the thing that you're remembered for most? Do everybody come up to you and say, hi, Tyler Lannister? And he says, actually, there's a whole slew of people who come to me and go, I just watched The Jewel in the Crown for the first time the other day. And he's like, really? Really? It's 15 hours. It's from 1984. Thank you. What Thank you, the Charles Dance. But at the same time, he's also... <laughs> At the same time, he's like, apparently, like, this is a thing that happens, like, that there is a, a, that there is a hardcore fandom for the Jewel in the Crown. And they, and they come up to him and, 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 and they love him for that performance. And he's like, you know, I, I gotta say, like, I'm, you know, I'm flattered. It's better to be looked down. It's better to be, to be, what is it? Better to be uh, looked over than overlooked.
0: (laughs) Um, I would just not be mad for being remembered t- for the role in which I like looked my absolute hottest, either.
1: Right? Seriously, like Charles stands being hot in a hat, guys. Like, does look
0: really good in this. I really could not tell you what the point of his character is, but he looks good. That's what I got.
1: He, the point of his character is that he's supposed to be like the one who studied Indian history and knows how much they've screwed it all up. Like, I think that's oh. pretty much supposed to be his character arc. Also, also, um, Sarah sleeps with him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's me being like I don't think the show did that at all but sure yeah. he looks good and he takes his shirt off like an inordinate amount of times
1: it's amazing how many times he takes his shirt off it's telling you Charles Dance being hot in a hat here for it
0: um the jewel in the crown everybody <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as I said before that is an installment of our Classics Revisited series and as I suspect we may have to do some more of these in the month's ahead if you have a show or film that you think we should look back at in this in this little sub vertical that we've made let us know we are at televisions at weta.org i will love you forever if you could recommend something that is not 15 hours long <laughs>
1: Um, because I am sitting over here tapping my finger going, I Claudius.
0: I had to watch I Claudius in like Latin class, so I'm ready for I Claudius.
1: Um we could also do we uh, I am just gonna remind you that I said Six Wives of Henry the Eighth, you said the Four Eye Saga. Um though we will do the new Forsyth saga, not the one from nineteen sixty seven, please. Oh yeah,
0: the one with the who is it, Damian Lewis? We're gonna do that one. Okay, cool. Because he looks real good in that one too. Okay. Uh I'm very shallow, I'm sorry. Anyway, um <laughs> that is our show. Thank you for listening. And you tell the people where they can find you on the
1: internet. You can find me at Annie Bundle, basically on any kind of social media platform that exists from blue sky to spill. Um, you can find me also at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook, but not on threads because even though I did sign up for thread circuit squad on my Annie Bundle handle, I really haven't done anything with it because I don't really care about celebrities like being all advertising at me. Um, you can find pictures of my cats being very fun. Fuzzy and every so often a picture of me eating cheese At Annie Bundle on Instagram I am the associate editor here at Televisions And I also freelance around the web And let's see, right now I've been writing Pitching and writing polemics about the strike and AI And yeah um, oh, Also Emmy nominations So yeah, just uh, go go to my go, go to my social media Because I have posted my stuff there, I promise
0: Huzzah! I am Lacey MB on Twitter and every other social media app, except for Spill, because I think I just learned that it existed 30 seconds ago. So give me a minute and I'll get there.
1: It kinda uh, looks like Reddit.
0: Oh, maybe I will not be there. Anyway, um the site in the pod can be found on social media at tele underscore visions on Twitter and televisions blog, all one word on Facebook. If you like we do, you can find us at televisions.org on the world wide web. Do people still call it that? I don't know. I just did. And we've got recaps, news updates, listicles, all kinds of fun stuff. And if you want us to make some more of it, there is a big donate button up top where you can help us do just that. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it is, as Annie said earlier, a hot strike summer. And alongside our ongoing support for the Writers Guild of America, we would also like to take a second in our, you know, ending spiel to say we also are in full solidarity with the Screen Actors Guild and the American, whatever the other guild is, that's also with sag SAG-AFTRA. Sagaftra,
1: just call them sag SAG-AFTRA. Sagaftra,
0: we love actors. If we did not have actors, we would have absolutely nothing to talk to you guys about. If we did not have writers, they would have nothing to act for us to talk to you about. Pay people for the content we love, and stop trying to replace them with AI. Oh yeah, right. I don't want that. I don't want seriously. Watch seriously,
1: can I just interrupt and say, if an AI-generated listicle? is clicked on by a million bots, did it really go viral? Hmm.
0: I was gonna say, I would like to keep writing things myself. So I would also like to not be replaced by AI. So let's not replace actors or writers with them. Um, They deserve deserve the very minimal things that they're asking for when compared to the massive salaries of CEOs and I want to have more things to talk to you about. That aired recently and aren't classics revisited in the months ahead so solidarity with all the strikers let's go uh anyway that's our show i will end with saying take care of yourselves, take care of each other thank you for listening and we'll see you next week